Episode number 109. It's a hot one today. Hold that on. <laughs> <laughs> All right, you ready? I'm Clay Lowe. And I'm Sarah Beth Hunt. You're listening to the Havana Cafe Sessions podcast. Where we get together once a week over coffee to talk about the big questions of life. Let's get into the show. Yeah. Hoo-ha. Hoo-ha. All right. Good stuff. Uh, and we're back here in the Hello. cafe. But we're, we're down in the dungeon. I, I mean, I like this as an office, but on a day like today. See, I'm really happy because I've just spent the last two hours walking in the hot, blazing sun with a, a bunch of four, four and five-year-olds to the park and back. Yeah, but there's no light down here. I know that I need to be in the shade. The shade's okay. Am I right with the shade? It's, yeah. It's, it's the lack of light in our Well, we'll, our we'll take studio. you upstairs. We'll take right. you upstairs. Very good. Okay, so I um, wanted to talk about culture. And it just kind of came to me as I was reading some stuff um, from Seth Godin. And he was talking about there are no king ants, did he say? King ants? Yeah, there's no king of the ants. No king of the ants. Yeah. Um, and it was just a line in that whole of that. Um, he writes very short, short articles, so not ever, and only two, three hundred words. Um, but it was just the last line. And it was a line about that um, change the culture slowly and persistently, and you can change everything. And then it just got me thinking about how, how much culture has cha- how much culture influences us and how it's changed so slowly over time and I think the thing that came to my head as I was doing some other stuff was about how um, it's a mobile phone culture so you know I do a lot of blogging we do the podcasts and things like that uh, and most you know the word on the street these days is if you're not if you have a business and if you're not if your business isn't mobile first then you're doing yourself a disservice you're behind the eight ball because when you look around walk down the street and anybody right now wherever you are I guess unless you're in a room by yourself but when you go out into public just have a look around you and see where everybody's attention is it's on their phone so if you're not gearing whatever you're doing to be mobile first then you're behind. see I really liked I, I'm really looking forward to hearing what you have to say about this because the whole culture thing is quite a sort of different take on the external things that are influencing us and and particularly at a sort of subconscious level controlling us um, than the idea of like a insidious big brother or a state control or some kind of centralized control. It's like this is the idea that the culture itself and your desire to fit in it and be connected to it, whatever that culture aspect is, is the thing that's controlling you. So it literally, like, what you know, the thing about Seth Godin's article, The Ants Have No King, is like, um, which he took from that article, he links links to one article in that blog. I loved that short blog. It was awesome. Yeah. It's just, like, really just, like, to the point. All of his are are very, very short. Short yeah. one single kind of idea, yeah. But he, but that, the, so he links to this article that um, was written by a woman who studies ant colonies, like mm. that's her job, and she goes out into the rainforest and all different kinds of places and studies ants. And her whole point of the article was that ants don't have a king or anything that's controlling them or telling them what to do. So 
the way that they make decisions, like how to build a road between the colony and the food source, or what to do when that road is destroyed, or what to do when your colony is destroyed by an animal or a breaking tree or whatever. All of those things happen by what she's referring to as culture, which is individual connections between the ants and their communication with each other, individual to individual. So, if I if I tie into that just to broaden the continue, yeah. but just broaden the definition of culture. So, in the sense that we're talking here, culture, it's about the ideas, customs, and social behaviors of a particular people or society. Or in this instance, if we're using the ants as a metaphor, I think it's what that. what was really interesting and worth reading hmm. for my personal life about ants you know I think that what was really good about the article is one of these researchers who can actually apply what they're doing so like why why should we care yeah and um, the reason why we should care is because that it's very interesting to see number one how group think happens individual to individual mm. Which is basically, I guess, how culture spreads and develops, but also how resilient that culture can be, and and how resilient ants are, for instance, because there's nothing in no, no individual point that you can wipe out and wipe out the colony, you right. know. So it makes them in, incredibly resilient, and but you know. Would you in, say that transpires to? Well, I guess it does on a gigantic level for humans. I in terms that we're still around, well, but I'm just wondering how resilient, like together as a well. I suppose in, I'm translating it not in terms of our survival, but in terms of the like development of culture and the prevalence of of continuing certain trends. You know, like I feel like things change, mm. and sometimes things change really rapidly because you have like the introduction of mobile phones or something. But you know, a lot of things change really slowly, and it's. But I would challenge you know. that. I would challenge the mobile phone as in rapid. And I guess this is what, this is really what got me interested into it. How many things have actually changed? It's, because the key thing in the Seth thing was about slowly and persistently. Yeah, right. So the mobile phone has taken a long time to reach the point. It yeah. didn't happen overnight, basically. Yeah. You yeah. know, There was these big, gigantic bag phones that we have. And it was, that was revolutionary, wasn't it? And I, if, I know I'm showing my age here because I had a bag phone. <laughs> In fact, you know what? If if you remind me for this podcast for the picture, I've got all my old mobile phones apart from the big giant bag phone. I got the next one after the giant Do bag you? phone. I have them all. Um, and that's awesome. That would be a great picture. Yeah, I'll, I'll dig that. I'm sure they're they're in the attic, I think, or the garage. I can't remember which. But anyway, so you know, over time, because we we came up in a space and time where mobile phones wasn't a part of our culture. It wasn't. Yeah. yeah, you had a phone, maybe a phone in the house that you shared between everyone and kids and stuff were generally not allowed on the phone. Or oh if, man, yeah. if you wanted to talk to your friends in the evening, you had to wait till the phone line was free, didn't you? Oh yeah, you? absolutely. So for us, yeah, there wasn't this concept, but then slowly bag phones came, early adopters started taking them on, and then yeah. it kind of slowly over time till we get to the point, point now that you can't look anywhere yeah. and not see someone on their phone no matter what you're doing you can be out on the mountain pass a group of people there's somebody on the mobile phone go out to dinner and you're sitting at the table the kids are on the phone the dad's on the phone the mom's on the phone 
everybody's on the phone and they're having a meal out together, but they're all on their phone. And that, that didn't happen overnight, and now it seems so normal. I know we got people who still resist and still fight. Oh, yeah, well, put your so phones away. Is, Don't have your phone out of the table. But So this is like the... The another interesting part, and I'll I'll put the um, ants article in the show notes, and I'll put it on Facebook because I do think it, it was really well written and really mm. worth a read. And she talks about like in so the ant thing is sort of all about how powerful one to one connections are when mm. you have a lot of one to one connections. Yeah. So and she sort of then talks about the web and about how the internet is not as as powerful and influential as it is because it's so big, but because of the number of one-to-one connections we as individuals can make with how many other different people and groups and whatever. Hey, you're going to have to link to my article, and I just wrote one on that very thing that you're saying right there. You're, you're, you're summing up my article I wrote today and posted on LinkedIn. Where'd you put it on? <laughs> it's on LinkedIn. No, but I mean, what's it about? Oh, it's on the fact that not to make things like on the internet and blogs and stuff like that blogging for the many but the blog for the one and it's the few go for the few connections because then it's that one connection that tells a friend or two friends and then they tell a couple of friends but because like you're saying here with the connection is strong they you know they trust me enough to share their my ideas with their friends their friends trust them and the more and the more connections Mm. So according to this kind of theory or, or th- a way of thinking about it, the more connections, the more one-to-one connections you are linked to, the more highly connected you are and that there's a, a real resilience there and a real like strengthening of power there. Hmm. And so like another example that she uses is... I even gave a talk on this today about dig your well before you're thirsty. Already? Um, not today. I'm sorry, this week. Yesterday. Oh, yeah. Was it yesterday? Yesterday. Okay. What day is it today? Thursday. Thursday. On Tuesday, I I gave one of my presentations I was saying about dig your well before you're thirsty. Mm. I build those one-to-one connections with people, like real real connections with personal relationships with people. And and the end of that blog that I wrote today was um, that the key to it all was personal relationships. And I know a lot of People don't think they have time for it, but if you really want to spread an idea to really have that strength and power that you're mentioning, it's how many of these individual one-to-one personal connections that you can make that are really strong. I think there's like different ways of thinking about this too in terms of, or how it sort of impacts our lives for real. Because Mm. on the one hand you have like, do you have something that you want to get out in the world? How do you do that? But then also, this whole system and thing works because we are social animals and we want to be connected. Like, if we were, you know, lone wolves as a species, it, it, this wouldn't be a thing. Yeah. But, um, or a, wolves is about a, you know, thing, but maybe like cats or something, you know, they're more like solitary and whatnot. But anyway, I think that, um, you know, because, so another example that she gives about what, it means to be sort of highly connected is sort of high school friendships and how you have the popular or, you know, yeah, basically the popular group, like the few people who all social connections go through-ish. Mm. And then you have people who are, who are vying to get connected to those people because if they're connected to those people, they're in the in crowd. It's not just that they are 
just making a one-to-one connection then. If you make a connection to this person, you are connected to the whole in crowd. And then there are people that are obviously on the outside of that that are much less connected. And so these kind of things also work in terms of our own ideas about, or feelings rather, of belonging and what, you know, just made me reflect on, you know, in high school, you know, it's a bit like, I don't know, Lord of the Flies kind of, you know, social, yeah. you know, whatever, but... Well, there's a law I think when called, we're, when it's called we're, the, the law of the few, um, and it's the success, which is the success of any kind of social interaction in the uh, epidemic is heavily dependent on the involvement of people um, with a rare set of so- social gifts. So it's like you're saying here, so if I connect to that one person that has lots of connections, that right. automatically increases my my space. And you're trying to make connections with the, with the people who are connectors. And in fact, have you, did you read that book? Um, so the influencers thing. No, it's, it's like called the, the, the tipping point. And yeah. he talks about the sort of four types, right? There's, so there's connectors. So these are the ones who are people who know a large number of people. So, so this you, is Malcolm Gladwell's yeah, tipping so point. If, yeah, yeah, if you were trying to spread an idea, it's not to try and go for the masses. It's to find the person that's a connector because they'll have a large social network um, and the idea will go through them. Um, then there's the mavens who um, are connected by information. So if you want to know something about, I don't know, oh, right. like tech or something, you say, oh yeah, go to this person because they know all about it. Yep. Um, and then there's the sales people or the persuaders, um, which are folks that are very sort of charismatic. So their influence comes through the fact that um, they're able to sell people on the idea. Mm-hmm. And so this blend of having the connectors, mavens and salesmen in your whenever you're trying to spread an idea or increase your power or your influence, it becomes how many of these that you have in your network or what kind of that connection sort of looks like, right. I think, yeah. And I like your idea about the high school thing because, again, it's one of these... I live near a high school, and if you look at... Whenever I look outside my window, they always travel in groups yeah. you rarely I mean you do see the odd one walking alone but mostly you got these packs of kids yeah and then I thought well and, and your friends are like everything when you're that age to you and I think something happens like as we get older and this is just something I've thought about before is like we don't as adults travel in packs you know, right, we don't yeah. we don't travel in these packs. We don't have that same kind of network or connection with um, yeah. what your sort of group of, of, of friends in that way, which I you know, which is a, a whole, that's probably a topic of a whole another uh, conversation. In fact, we probably talked about it when we did the episode on community. I yeah, think. maybe. I, yeah. I just yeah, I just thought that it's quite an interesting thing to then just reflect on the different cultures and what those. Like, because all of the cultures sort of have like rules and mm. rules. rules. Is the, yeah, there's sort a lot of, of unwritten rules that you don't. I don't know if it's. Oh yeah, catch. The, some are written and a yeah. lot are unwritten. Yeah, so just you know, and there, there's sort of a lot of different st- things that go with a culture, but then being part of that culture 
like, I suppose this article made me reflect on how that is. Like, how do you become part of a particular culture? And how does that culture, how do you enter into it? And then how does it influence you? And, you know, this is sort of, again, back to, like, one-to-one contacts, you know, whatever. Because, you know, it, it's sort of interesting. Like, there, there are a lot of different, you know, ways into this. But there's a lot of people who, like, they're just not as socially apt at getting the rules of a particular mm-hmm. culture. And then they sort of continually will get pushed out because they don't really know how to make a connection in. Do you know what I mean? Like, you see this really play out with, um, like, little kids and play. There's a lot of times in which a kid will be standing on the edge of, of a game. And it's like, sometimes you have to really teach a child. Sometimes kids get it instinctively, but other kids have a really hard time knowing how to enter into play. Like, they want to be part of the game, but they don't really know how to get in. And, and the only ways they can think of is to push somebody or to wait at the sidelines for somebody to ask mm. them or to do something annoying to someone. And, and, and their ways of getting in aren't the ways to actually get in. Yeah, that's probably hits on a number of different levels, hasn't it? Because I think some of that is about, about you talking about like sort of group norms or becoming a part of a tribe and how yeah, do I right. join that? And then once you get inside of that, there's a set of rules and behaviors once you're a part of that group. And you'll learn what those are kind of over yeah, time. Yeah. Um, Whereas we're talking on a sort of bigger society level of culture yeah, than it becomes. Yeah, because yeah. yeah, when we look at, I mean, you can go both, go up and down. So we can go macro or micro on it. and Because um, it all hinges around the customs and the traditions and the values of the particular society or community yeah. that you belong to. So, um, it's, and, and I think that's a good point that you break bring out it's like how do you if I'm an outsider how do I join that group and that group's going to have a certain sort of normalized behaviors certain traditions certain values that they hold so cultural on a small level um, how do I become a part of that especially if so if I'm a classic outsider then I look I probably look nothing like them act nothing like them um, maybe not even necessarily share the same values hence I'm an outsider, so how do you, how do you break into that, mm-hmm. to that sort of space? And I suppose um, one of the things that was playing on my mind in this idea of looking at culture was how many, how much influence that culture has on us, and how much of that you just adopted, you just take because you want to fit in, because you want to be a part of the herd, and how much of it has changed me over time yeah without me noticing it to now it's just a part of my behavior that I don't know the mobile phone is easy to pick on because I'm just thinking a really easy thing to think about (laughs) is like your family culture because you know I really notice it like you know my husband's family there's a lot of differences as with anything like you don't we because we're Americans we are and we're hanging out here with all these British and Yeah, English. that's right. I mean, I think you find this with any case. Anytime you're sort of blending two families and it's like the way I was then is very different than the way I am now. And it's really hard to pick apart at some point, like, so how what's does that, a how natural does it, how does it change. How does it translate in, in your house? Because you, you'll have a set of normal you know, behaviors and, and stuff left over from an American culture. Then your husband's Scottish, so he has a, that 
culture and you're living in England, so there's a, another culture there, the English culture. Yeah, yeah. So you have a blend of the three. How is that? How does yeah. it translate itself out in your I don't know. I mean, it's like it's hard to pick that apart because it's yeah. just our family. You know, we're just doing stuff. I, I know you're know. just doing. What's and the, the stuff kids that are, you're doing? And the kids are screaming <laughs> just like everywhere else. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, I just, I really like that idea because, okay, so the the main way that I have ever really thought about culture... Well, let me, do, do, before you yeah, move sorry. off of that, so I'm just thinking from the American culture point of view. Yeah, yeah, I, okay, sorry, yeah, yeah. Well, no, because I get it at work all the time because I have, you know, American culture, military culture, and I'm bringing all of that. Right. Still, I've adopted some things over here. Um, but one of the things that I quite often point out to in my trainings is that, um, you know, the... the English culture as a whole, you know, as a, as a like we Americans get accused of being really loud and overbearing and kind of always, we're happy to blow our own kind of horn in that sort of mm-hmm. sense. And to, you know, the whole high five and awesome, that thing just comes yeah. natural to us. Yeah. Uh, um, it doesn't necessarily sit well with the English. That's too American. Right, yeah. <laughs> and, yeah, yeah. you know, they want you to tone it down and to be more. Reserved, um, and so I come up against that a lot. But I always try to force them out of that sort of space and say, "Nah, we don't. We don't have time for that kind of stuff." Right. <laughs> but I see that play itself out in that way. The other thing, and we were just talking about this yesterday because I was having this kind of conversation as well, was I'm used to coming from a culture. And this is probably more military. Maybe you can you'll, you can chime in on this in terms of from a civilian point of view. But one of the things that I miss from the military aspect is that. Um, you could just like here they, you know, let's get stuff in a diary and pick a date and set you know you think you're planning stuff out weeks and months in advance where I was quite used to like, if we're going to go if I wanted to go have dinner at someone's house I'd just go out the door and knock on the door and it's dinner time so let's start eating maybe that's more of a military right. thing as opposed to alright well let's do dinner, and then we'll get the diaries out, and okay, I'm free next, you know, two Thursdays from now, or in July, and I'm like, and that just drives me so nuts, even just to plan a night out, everyone's like diaries, and when we, as opposed to just... I wonder if that's something that's changed, as people have gotten a lot more busy, I don't know. I don't know, it's just something that I've never, I'm still not used to it, and I still don't like it, I, I absolutely hate it, even... To the point of like Christmas parties. I don't know if you noticed this. They're like, yeah. Christmas isn't even over, and they're like, book your Christmas thing I know, for, for next year. For next yeah, year, yeah. and it's like I don't ever remember that. I just remember, all right, it's gonna be a, you know, your party, yeah. and you grab a f- bunch of people, and you know, it was never yeah. hard to get a place to have a, your Christmas party. I don't know. I don't. I, yeah. It's just those. Yeah. Those are just a few things that I, I battle with. <laughs> Yeah, that's funny. <laughs> As I'm interacting with my uh, English and uh, British colleagues um, from that that point of view. Yeah. Um, and even the thing of um, just speaking to total strangers as if they're long-lost friends, that's another cultural difference, I think. Because mm. I get looked at like I'm a weirdo when I just start talking to people. And yeah, like, yeah, I do that yeah. too. Yeah. And I'd be like, oh, you can see. Sometimes. It was so funny. So my, uh, you know, my other office, the, mm. my writing office, is a different cafe, and uh, this is my podcasting cafe. I just haven't dotted around. You, you got know. your different. This is the studio. Yeah, this is. that's The right. other ones are office. So, uh, 
But I mean, I know the people behind that work. But I don't know. That's becoming maybe that's not a thing here. I don't know. I feel like it's come more over here in recent times. I feel like people used to look at me a lot more weird when I used to be a bit chatty to strangers. Whereas, but then also I lived in Cambridge, and Cambridge is a bit of a weird place. Mm. <laughs> like it's a beautiful place, but it's also a really weird place. Like I remember I used to go running along the Cam, which is the river, Cambridge. You know. Anyway. And I would just, you know, say hello as I pass people. And, yeah, people just looked at me like I was up from a different planet. But those are kind of, I mean, they're, I mean uh, yeah, those are really small examples. And because there is cultures and subcultures within cultures and stuff yeah. like that. I was just looking here um, about, like, like the bro culture, for instance, as right. a, another yeah. sort of subculture. Yeah, you know the bro culture. Do you, follow, do you look at any of no. the sort of Gary Vaynerchuk stuff? Not much, no. No, but like his like marketing Gary, type, but, but yeah, yeah. He, he appeals very much to the bro right. culture. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. And then there's counterculture, and you know, there's all these subcultures within cultures um, yeah. that play themselves out. That's and right. it's like, oh, and like, uh, like here, I think the clubbing culture is really big here. So the whole sort of, you know, the, um, yeah, club. I wouldn't know about that because I'm at home at night. Um, being boring and going to sleep. Being boring, yeah. Well, it's a big, you know, it's a huge culture with that aspect. But they have their own norms. They have their own traditions. They have their own sort of way of being, way of life. And of course, then they kind of dress the same. Listen, obviously, listen to the same kind of music. But then they'll have the same. You know, they'll have their own vocabulary. I think that that's the thing for that. me about the whole culture discussion is that I've always thought of culture, and you've looked at what it contains. Like, mm. what is it about to belong to a specific group? But I haven't really thought about it in terms of like, how does it spread? How does it, what is it on a sort of systematic level? Do you know what I mean? And, and if you think about the ants thing and a sort of how you learn about culture on a one-to-one connection... You know, like, uh, so I'll give you... I think that's spread to the one-to-one is that you kind of tell the next person that's closest to you, don't you? That's right. But, you know, for instance, okay, I'll I'll, I'll sort of give more of an example of what I mean. So, basically, the only, the main way that I studied culture when I was at university is with this, uh, through reading, have you read Pierre Bourdieu? He wrote this book called Distinction. He's one of these French people. I think he, he wasn't like, you know, it was like 1970s he wrote this. Mm. It wasn't like ages ago. But um, basically, that book looks at levels of culture and says, you know, like for literature that there are things that we consider to be high culture and yeah. things that we consider to be low culture. Pop culture, exactly. low culture. Yeah. And so, and, and the thing is, it was sort of the first time that someone had ever like thrown you know all of this up in the air and been like why is it like that you know before then I had just assumed that you know I had bought into the narrative that says that the classics are are high culture because they're better you know than this like Mm. this is better than this and I've bought into the thing that like poetry and like you know, really like modern art and really sort of obscure things that are considered really high culture. And if you know about them, then, you know, you are like kind of up there that that was because that was for a reason, you know, whereas actually what Pierre Bourdieu says is that this is all like based on power and on, um, Mm. and on your social standing. And so the way that you like, so what, 
what I took out of that from from like a personal perspective and he does a whole like chapter on food like what's high culture food what's low culture food like all this kind of stuff basically is I don't necessarily like the things I like because I like them and this is whole you know Brittany put that in as one of her questions for the new year didn't she was like we don't necessarily like the things we like because we like them we like them because we're part we were born into a group that valued certain things and part of being a part of that group was liking this, you know? So if you wanted to associate with this group, you had to, and therefore like you you needed to adopt the culture of that group, then you needed to adopt certain likes and dislikes. Mm. And that is in terms of, you know, it's really cool to like sushi. It's really, you know, not cool to go to McDonald's and certain, do you know what I mean? There's a whole group that's like that. And then there's the other group that's like, it's but, cool it's so mul- but it's so it's multi-tier, not- though. I mean, because you're thinking about, I mean, as you're talking about, like, whole high culture, low culture, some of that's going to come from so the home, isn't this it? Is, yeah, exactly. So mm. I think the thing that came out of that for me was mm. that cultures actually aren't just concentric sort of circles mapping over each other. There, There is also a hierarchy of culture that we sort of recognize or try to resist and disrupt you know so so people that are counterculture are saying like that's bs you know this is as good as that and i think the internet has gone a long way to disrupting those traditional sort of hierarchies of what's good literature what's not what's good art what's not what's yeah you know what's good food what's not you know the culture counterculture thing though and any culture eventually becomes High culture isn't so counterculture eventually becomes a culture if they win out. Yeah, yeah. But then they'll get someone that's, that'll rebel against that culture. So you always have the outsiders who don't want to follow the herd and who want to um, be the counterculture and let's lead another movement away from it because you know that's become mainstream, that's become the herd, that's just become. I mean, you know, look at all the different trends and things that you have now that would have been, you know, if I was a, a vegan. 20 years ago I would have been completely out, outside you know like way on the outside but the whole sort of um, movement that it's got now and the strength that they're kind of pushing and grabbing it's, it's slowly starting to change yeah. the culture but then someone's looked and said well actually you know there's some money to be made out of this thing and so it, then, then it starts to change and lose yeah. its original yeah. idea yeah. Yeah. purpose interest and it becomes more Mainstream or normal. Yeah. Um, Do you want to take a break and then? Yeah. Yeah. Let's take a quick break. Thanks for listening to the podcast. We really enjoyed bringing you the episodes over the past two years. Our goal for 2018 is to grow our audience, our community of contemplators like you. And we would really appreciate your help with this. Now, there's a few things that you as a listener can do that are pretty easy and simple that will really help us out a lot. So if you enjoy the podcast and want it to continue, it would be great if you could share it with a few friends who you think might enjoy listening. Um, Going to iTunes and giving us a review so that it boosts us in the algorithms and it can come across other people who might enjoy it. And if you'd like to financially support the podcast, you can go to the contribution section of our website. Thanks, and back to the show. All right, so how cultures um, spread, and there's a term that has a different, couple of different meanings, but um, I'll use it in the context that we're talking about now, and that's 
social learning. Um, so culture spread through in a way that you were talking about high culture, low culture and that sort of things, but that'll come through um, your socialization process, your social learning within the society that you're in. So, you know, there's different ways of expressing culture, art, music, dance, uh, your ritual, religions or technology. Um, and then through your socialization process is where you pick up the difference between high culture and low culture, for instance, or pop yeah. popular culture. See, this has been a funny journey for me, just on a personal note, because, mm. you know, as a writer, I think it's, it's sort of, you know, I always loved stories and mm. I always wanted to be a writer. And so that was sort of in the back of my head. But I was also really like school, schooly. Yeah. I love school. I, um, and so I always really tried, I, I really bought into for the longest time that there were certain books that were worth reading and certain books that weren't. And that this was good literature and this was crap and I needed to like this. And I feel like it's, you know, and then when I sat down to write my own stories, I feel like it's taken me a really long time to work into what I actually want to write hmm. because when I first started writing The Boatman my, which is my first novel I was still sort of working at the university I was sort of pulling myself out of it but I was still sort of had a foot in each place so I was half over here in Leamington I was half still in Cambridge I was like trying to extricate myself but hadn't fully hmm. yet and I think that that book eventually I had to pull a lot of things out of it and change some things because you know you you end up writing stuff that's like you know painfully long sentences because you feel like you need to be super you know clever with your words but or something that like that rather than just telling you... the true story and, yeah. and finding your own voice yeah. and I think that that um, but does that not come back to why you write though yeah but I think that's the thing what, 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 it's like, it's like a personal doing it? It, but it's sort of my interaction with culture and, and my own personal journey within that and like sort of finding out like my agency in all of it, I guess. Like, what what culture am I choosing to be a part of, or what do I want to be a part of? What ref most reflects me? And so I think that there's this other like aspect of all this that's again on sort of a more applicable and personal level of like, when do you take back agency on what cultures do you want to be a part of? Because isn't there this thing that's like, um, you know? tell me the five people you see most and I'll tell you about the average, yourself. Yeah, the, you're the average of the five people you spend the most time okay, with. Okay, there you go. Yeah. So, you know, and I think that, that there's something in that about all these personal connections, like mm. how these personal connections influence you and therefore what kind of culture you're subconsciously or consciously like being a part of. And I think that's the real trouble with when you've got people in your life and you've got a strong one-to-one -one connection with but you really don't jive with them or they're not good for you or whatever then they sort of suck you into a different kind of mindset or you could say a different kind of culture that that you don't really do you see what I'm saying? I do but I probably because I've so I think some of it is maybe it's human nature as you said so there's a whole sort of herd thing and you want to fit in so I need to do but then you have people probably like myself and who have tended to be outsiders who don't kind of bend to that kind of pressure so you yeah, kind yeah, of yeah. 
you know, so for instance, you mentioned about high school and groups. I actually had no group, but I had a large connection because I was able to hang out with jocks, the nerds, the cool people, because I was just, I was an island onto myself, but I, because I didn't feel the need to conform. But to I join. think that's, that's more rare. Yeah, I'm not saying that it's a, a normal thing, and it, and it is, but you do also have, you, you do, I guess that's a culture in itself, you're outsiders. There's a good book that we can link in the so, show notes that talks about outsiders and that whole culture, because in the end, it is a, Are you talking about The yeah. Outsiders by yeah. S.E. Hinton? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I like that. Yeah, so, but uh, you know, again, that oh, becomes Pony a, Boy. Remember Pony Boy? It becomes a culture in and of itself. But yeah, um, all right, we we so digress. Let me, but now let me ask you this: so, uh, as you were talking about literature and writing and high culture from that point of view, if and I probably asked you this before, but I'll ask you on this podcast here for the listeners: is if Shakespeare was alive today, would he be writing movies? So would he be a screenwriter or a playwright? Definitely screenwriter. And how come? Well, because he was writing for the masses, wasn't he? He was writing popular yeah, stuff. Yeah, so it's popular stuff. Yeah, but yeah. now it's considered high culture, high culture right. and That's literature. Right. But his, So this That's is right. what I was kind of getting at and from asking you a little bit earlier. Is, the, is it more a question of why you write? So what's your purpose for wanting to write? Is it to communicate to a small group of elite? Is it to communicate to the masses? But that's right. But that sometimes and, I think you don't really... Yeah, no, I think that's right. I think that I was going to say you don't ask yourself that question, but I don't think no, 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 that's not right. You do ask yourself I that think question, you do. Yeah. but 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 actually being sort of finding, you know, because there's a there's a lot of social kudos or you know what what Bourdieu would call social capital mm. in in sort of liking certain things, you know, and and this can translate now into posting that you've been to this exhibition or post you know like yeah. this is the way that you talk about these kind of things if you want to be a part things. of this society, a high society yeah. whatever you want to be seen to go into the right parties go into the right exhibitions and we're all, and we're all trying to do that in whatever our right circles are so yeah. you know there's a lot of people doing read the, the right thing paper. like do you read the sun or do you read the times or are do you, you read the guardian doing a month of no plastic yeah. you know there's all kinds of like things that you can then do or be a part of to then connect with the cultural group that you're trying to, you know, be in. And I think that that it can seem very, um, if we if we only take the example of the high school thing, then it seems like a cliqueish sort of thing. But actually, it, it's not that. It's it's what what do you, what do you want to be a part of? Basically, well, who do you want to connect with? But it and does. We go, it is a clique, though. I would say because if you join a culture. Then you're going to take on... Well, everybody's on. part of different cultures, aren't yeah. they? But, and, and you take on the values of that culture. You take on the traditions of that culture, and you, that, which means you're going to probably naturally exclude others. So, um, you know, so if for... And I, I, I love my vegans. <laughs> do you? Yeah, I do. So if you join that culture, then you're naturally not going to agree with or necessarily connect very strongly with people who or serious meat eaters like myself. You might tolerate them on another level, as in, you know, we're human beings and I got that, but there's, you know, will we be inviting each other out to dinner? Probably not, because, you know, we ha unless we've got a different connection, personal connection, family connection, but as a group, my social norms and my values and beliefs are one thing, which might be different from another. 
you can yeah. transpose that across religions as well and yeah, yeah, um, yeah. your different sort of stratosphere if you want to bring class and that kind of stuff into it so um, I think by choosing and, and, and so I guess the question would come back to me is do you choose where you want to go at I think to start where you don't because you're going to just get whatever your parents give you because that's what's going to be around you. Or your school or whatever. Well, it'll yeah. start with your parents because you're not in school to start with. So whatever your, wherever your parents hang out, that's where you'll start because that'll seem the norm. But, of course, you get introduced to other cultures and other norms when you start socializing with people outside of your family. Um, and so then you got to somewhere along the lines, perhaps you start to you make choices about where you're going to go and be and what sits naturally with you and best represents who you feel I guess as an individual and where you feel yeah and I think that's the thing is that sometimes it can be on this level that you need to make a change so there's times I think in your life and you can think about it as like friend groups or something like Mm -hmm. that but you don't really you want to make a change like there's you know somebody that I have worked with a while ago in the past and with yoga and he got to the point where he was like this whole social scene just isn't my thing anymore and Mm. I'm sort of going out to the pub with these people but I don't really want to do this thing anymore and so in in a way he sort of started getting into all the yoga and just you know healthy eating and all this other kind of thing but it also meant that he had to sort of change friends a little bit too and that and that sort of is the is the link, you know, taking it back all the way to, you know, the ants is like, it is about like how culture is connect, connected to our individual connections. And that, you know, if you want to change your culture, you kind of also have to change your individual connections to some level. Your identity shifts as well, isn't it? Because our identities are tied to our culture. So your identity begins to shift. And I guess it's how it's... Um, and maybe some of this, and we can talk about this in another podcast, perhaps, but some, does some of it link to your self-esteem, your self-esteem and your, your, how solid you are in your sense of self? As in, do you look outwards to get that validation? Or you, do you turn inward for that validation? Um, like, for instance... It's such a flowing process, no, though, absolutely. isn't it? Yeah. Like something happened or changed in your friend's life who made him question, question yeah. his reality. Um, yeah. Do you question your reality? Uh, yeah. Do you ever question your reality? <laughs> exactly. Like? So that's what he did, right? And he's like, well, this doesn't suit me anymore. It doesn't fit, probably didn't fit with something internal was not jiving anymore. So incongruent, the yeah. incongruency. So seeking to become congruent again, which led him to health, yoga, that sort of thing. Yeah. But here's the thing about the change that like your friends are probably the worst in terms of the support, but your change necessarily, because if yeah. you change, it means they have to change, and people have very different reactions to change. Not everybody reacts with the same, and you know, a lot of times we react violently against wanting to change. So when they see you going off and decide, oh, you're going to be all healthy um, and do these other things, then they want to, and we, uh, they want you to not do those things yeah. <laughs> because then by you changing, it naturally means they have to change. And I've told this story before. Um, about the crabs. Remember that one? Oh, about how... No, say it again. Um, like, uh, you don't have to have a, a closed lid 
with the crabs when you're fishing for the crabs, the crabbers. Okay. And because the, when a, a crab, because they could just climb up the net and get out, but as a crab calls up, the other ones bring them back down. So they keep each other in, in essence. Whereas right. if they just decided that um, we're okay with chains, they could just all climb out. But they tend to pull each pull the crab that's trying to climb out or back. And that's what sometimes happens. Right. Like you said, with your group of friends, if you start changing and they don't want to make that journey with you, then yeah. they kind of give you all the reasons why you should, you know. And sometimes it's a positive way they do it. Sometimes it translates in a negative way who do you think you are it's not your kind of space and they want to pull you back in so yeah sometimes it takes something as radical as ditching your old friends and getting like surrounding yourself with the kind of people that you want to be like and around and with Um, in that sort of instance and I think um as we're talking about like the you know the things that we've got going on in our lives in that way and who do you associate with we look at the sort of social media culture so who are the people that you you're liking so that and you're seeing that stuff come into your feed your news streams on twitter facebook all that's so all that has an influence yeah on you and it's like well you know who are you inviting into that space what television do you write because all those things will start to shape what your world view yeah. looks like that's right and i think the narrower that is and this is my bias because I'm very broad-minded in that sense. It just narrows your worldview. When I talk about this, what is it called? The echo chamber? Because of the way the alg- algorithms, it just feeds you more of the same. Mm-hmm. So you don't get a chance to see outside of the tunnel that you're perhaps in. And then over time, bringing this right back to the whole sort of culture thing, then you've changed and it that back to Seth where it's consistent and persistent over time yeah then you change so now I think nothing of in fact going out of the house the check is where do I got my mobile yeah right <laughs> you know? no that's right where, where the, uh, keys and phone keys and phone in fact and it's, actually, it's phone first then keys can't go can't go without my phone although it was interesting um yeah, that's a whole other thing. I was going to say I can. I don't actually use the phone for the phone. I rarely, rarely talk on this yeah. telephone. So yeah. the one time I did leave it behind, I was all distraught. But then I realized actually mostly I just message people, which I could do on my iPad. So I was, I don't actually call any. I actually. I make no phone calls ever. Maybe we um, should stop calling it a phone and start calling it a mini computer. Well, that's all it is, isn't it? <laughs> you know, something I did as, as a reaction to this whole culture thing that I started doing um, this week was, because we don't write letters hardly anymore, do we? No. Yeah, so I've kind of slipped back into that space. And also emails. I know people still get tons of emails, but like I don't really send out emails because I've been doing a whole... And it's back to this one, you know, the whole want to talk to many, the mass media. So you're sending things on tweets and things like that. So it's out to lots. Um, whereas having a conversation with someone on a one-to-one basis and focusing on that person that you're conversing with as opposed to making it such so that it's a conversation with lots of people. So, But I think that's the whole ant thing is that like ants travel down this path and they... Every ant they meet, they like exchange a sort of pheromone 
communication. Mm. So it's like that's what she's saying about the power of the internet is like it it is one to one, but it's so many one to ones, you know, because essentially you're you're tweeting whatever you're out, you're putting your Facebook message out, and you're but essentially it's all in different individuals sitting on their individual like you know mini computers that are receiving that message from you. But they're not receiving a personal message. No, 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 that's fine. But I mean, you know, you're still having that one-to-one connection. It's not a deep connection, but it's Mm. more connections. Mm. So, I mean, I think that's what she was sort of saying, but... And, yeah, yeah, no, no, I get that. And I, and, but, and I was... Yeah. My my article that I wrote is about the opposite to that. Yeah, right. In the sense of the one-to-one. Focus on to the one-to-one, But the focus completely on that. Mm -hmm. The message is for that person. Mm-hmm. I, like I wouldn't write the same. In fact, the emails that I sent out were comp- totally to that individual. That if I switched and sent that one to the other one, the one wouldn't. It wouldn't have made any sense to that person. Right, 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 right. right. Whereas yeah. when I do the stuff on social media, of course, yes, it has to make sense to everybody. Make sense to everyone. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Yep. Um, good culture, food culture. We got all sorts of cultures. Like I'm in the Burger Man, so I belong yes. to burger subculture. You are indeed. Coffee subculture. We're in. Yeah, we're there. Uh, we're cafe there culture. The, you have. Yeah. You know, podcast I'm there culture. With the coffee. You know, we got podcasting subculture. You got people who are more into videos, that sort of thing. So yeah, as you said, there's a there's a lot of different dynamics here. So there's a big level. We call it. Let's call it culture with a big capital C yeah as in the society the arts the politics religion that make up a a nation or society yeah and then culture with the small C so all these various different subcultures that you might belong to um that connects you to your particular tribe yeah yeah cool alright very good cool I need more coffee my brain's starting to is it Crank it's down. It's starting to crank down. She needs more. Needs some espresso. Get that girl some more coffee. Yeah, you're making some pretty drawings over there. You need to connect those to the they're helping show me think. notes. I'm put, not sure why. put them in the show notes. But you, right. we'll have to do a um, we'll do a podcast on the visual thinking okay. because actually doodling is a very good thing to do that we should encourage. I knew you were going to be happy I was yeah. doodling. No, no, it's absolutely. It's your thing. Yep. It's not my thing usually. Yeah, no, yeah. no. And we should encourage kids in school to doodle, although they get discouraged not to. They get discouraged from a lot of things, though. <laughs> they do. Well, that's a topic of a, another, another time. Another time. Indeed. All right. Anyway, have a good one, folks. And uh, don't forget to pop on over to iTunes and or Spotify and uh, drop some comments. Drop some comments on the blog, on the Facebook uh, group and let us know that you're there and what you're thinking and anything that you might want us to talk about or cover in future episodes see you out on the internet in our Havana Cafe subculture <laughs> that group sweet hey everybody thanks for listening to the podcast we really enjoyed bringing you the episodes over the past two years we have a goal for 2018 to grow our audience, our, contemplate, our community of contemplators like you, and we'd really appreciate your help. In fact, there's a few things that you can do quite easily that would really help us out a lot. One is by sharing it with other friends that you think might enjoy listening to the show. Another is going to iTunes and giving us a review, which will boost the algorithm and put the show out in front of more eyes that um, can, people can come across it. 
And you can financially support the show by going to the contribution section of our website. Thanks a lot.